We doing it? Let's do it. We're ready. Why is there no music? I don't know. Ryan's 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 had like computer issues. Like, it, in fact, I don't even know if Ryan's here anymore. You know, whenever he says, "Oh, right, we're live," and then he just disappears, it's <laughs> something bad has happened. Like, there was a meltdown with Ryan in the streams. I don't know if we're streaming yet or not because we've lost Ryan. Um, I think we are live. I think that I, looks like the YouTube. Oh, yeah, we're live. All let's right. All right, Ralph, let's lead us off. You got the stories. Today, so let's do let's do your story. First. We're talking about you were talking about GitHub and how they're removing POC code because that's not incendiary at all. Oh, yeah. So for everyone who doesn't know some POC code for the exchange vulnerabilities or when I say vulnerability, it is a bunch, right? It's like four, I believe was posted on mm-hmm. GitHub and GitHub decided to remove the POC, you know, kind of the back and forth about that. So they immediately took it down. Obviously this was security researcher code. It was, you know, meant to that this is not uncommon after a vulnerability is patched and publicly known about for vulnerability researchers to publish POC or, or uh, proof of concept code. And they did on this particular uh, vulnerability and Microsoft, I'm going to use air quotes, Microsoft dash GitHub removed the code really quick. And so kind of the blowback with all of that, especially considering the fact that GitHub is owned by Microsoft and Microsoft's product or exchange was the one being affected here. So what do you guys think? All right. So this actually led to a conversation in my class last week. And one of my students said, he just typed in, Mark Rosanovich never got in trouble for releasing PS. And I've decided that that's now a t-shirt for BHIS um, because it says Mark Rosanovich never got in trouble for using PS exec, you know, even though it is one of the most heavily used post exploitation tools out there. And then on the back, it's going to say, but he felt bad. So we released this month. I think that this is, I, I personally think that this is ridiculous. And, and the reason why I think it's ridiculous, and this isn't just this one issue, right? This is a much larger issue than just this proof of concept code. It gets into this whole conversation about, okay, so security researchers releasing tools, releasing backdoors, releasing these things on GitHub. We need to stop that because that's really the problem. I think the issue for that is that's the whipping boy that you can see, right? So you can actually say, okay, so this clearly is a problem. So we're going to blame Marcello. We're going to blame all these people that are releasing malware. They're releasing backdoors. They're releasing proof of a concept exploit code. We're going to shut that down. But that isn't actually fixing the problem, I don't think, because those issues still exist. You're just attacking like the most like obvious manifestation of it. And personally, whenever it comes to malware, when it comes to code for remote ec- code execution, I want my malware publicly disclosed on GitHub with full comments so people can signatures for it. So that's that's my take. And I know, Derek, you've thought you might have a different approach on this as well. I agree with you 100% in concept and in I general like there's terms. A butt coming. There's, there's a butt coming. Yeah, there's a big butt there's coming. A, there's a butt coming. Because, you know, I've seen like the, the Twitter rants and I've seen, you know, folks on, you know, both sides. And, you know, I definitely agree that, you know, security tools should be released and that, you know, malware authors and the security researchers, you know, malware authors that are researchers 
I definitely agree it should be out. But I think in this particular instance, I don't disagree with what Microsoft did. And the reason why is because you could view this as kind of like an ongoing global incident and that they were attempting to try and, you know, the containment phase of an incident to try and not make it to make it just a little bit harder for more people to be taking advantage of of this specific issue, especially since how, you know, how widespread this really was. So I'm not saying that it's, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where there's probably no no good choice in their eyes. So, but wasn't the wasn't the like patch already released though? Oh, the patch is already sure. released. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, if you're you know running some kind of internet facing complex exchange environment with you know twenty nine exchange servers clustered together, I mean, how like how quickly do you patch, right? Like, or I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is I think the code should definitely be out on GitHub once the everyone has had time to kind of remediate the issue. And I know it's probably surprising that you, you think I would take that, that stance. I, 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 I think in this particular case, especially since it's, you can look at it as like, you know, kind of like fallout from quote cyber war, right? I mean, there are nation states, the nation state who's, you know, doing this thing, they have their own code and then somebody puts out a proof of concept and now there's, you know, more coming, I, I guess, I don't disagree with this one particular thing, but I do agree with your con with the concept of that tools should definitely be uh, available, open source, and because if 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 researchers if there aren't if there aren't tools for red teamers to use that are are public and available, then they're just going to write their own, and then it'll be harder to detect in the long run. I believe. But. I have the other side opinion of this. So like we, ca- it, it's not that I disagree per se with the, kind of this idea that it makes things worse because it possibly does, but I think it's for the better good. And then additionally, it's kind of like, where do you draw the line? Like, when is it okay oh. to release so, the code? Like, is it exact day? I, yeah. amount? Is it so, like, you know, is it a feeling that I personally have? Like we have to yeah. like kind of articulate that. Oh, and I that's mean, the responsible disclosure process, right? Yeah, I, I, don't I, call it you, that. Please don't call it that. <laughs> I, oh my oh, God, he's, here. he's here! He talks! <laughs> oh. I know he's been listening the whole time. So now he's yeah. just code up. So what are your problems? Oh, I'm just doing, I'm doing T-ball with Mubix. <laughs> Mubix, what, are, what do you mean? It's like you might have a problem with the phrase responsible disclosure. Do tell. Uh, no, no, we're not going to go into that. No, uh, I'll, I'll t- I will talk my, my mindset on this did change. So when Dave Kennedy actually posted the hate about GitHub pulling it off, I was right on board with him. And after reading some of the comments and some of the posts, I, I thought about it a lot more. And there's there's a lot of pieces to this. One, the notoriety of publishing first is is definitely something that, that people have to that's take into account. And like, well, I, but I think that that's I mean, a problem in the industry. I do think. Okay. We'll come back to that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Having the notoriety of it, it's resume building, right? There's that. And I, I'm not going to discount anyone for like trying to succeed in their life, right? I think that it's bad that that's part of it. But anyways, so there's there's that piece. There's also the piece of, like Derek said, lots of people are still getting exploited at this. It was a nation state actor. 
for example, if a, a place got hit with a freaking nuclear bomb, you don't go and start robbing people or showing how how to build smaller bombs right after a nuclear bomb hit. It's just mean. There's the the piece that it's still being exploited, but I would like to take a a, a stance on this that is sort of different. I think that the the code should be released just like Ralph and and you guys were talking about, but I think we should think of it in the same sense of Project Zero Day does, where they do the 90 days. This has not been 90 days since a patch, right? Now, mm. yeah, but Project the, Zero Day, when they're 90, uh, just a step in, Project Zero Day in their 90 day disclosure, it's whether there is a patch or not to improve the security of that infrastructure. Sure, sure, sure. So I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, bad analogy, because I'm just <laughs> taking the 90 days out of it. It's, it's okay. Just um, to, <laughs> all right, go ahead. Yep. I think that something this widespread should get 90 days before something gets published. Like the the ability for organizations to patch, just like Derek was saying, is tough, right? Especially in exchange, it's not not easy. Plus, you have mom and pop shops. You have places that are foreign countries that might not have read the latest security news in English. And like that's a that's a huge deficit that we have in InfoSec the translation to and Google Translate mm-hmm. and all that stuff doesn't really work very well if all I read is Russian or Polish or or other non-Latin languages. And so I think that that 90 days is a, an okay time frame to say, okay, the patch has been out for 90 days. We're going to start releasing that. The code was published to Metasploit as well. And Rapid Seven had a, a long discussion on on leaving it up or not. Like this, this what did is, they decide? Just adversity. An ultimate decision was leave it up since there was code everywhere else. The other, the the final piece, the third piece that I'll talk to you about this is that removing stuff like this pushes the code into further down into the dark web or the yeah. the. the the bad people area somebody was going to release this like if you say if like we all agree to not do it somebody's still going to release it like three years right but what i'm saying is once it's there it's out nothing gets deleted from the internet the removal of it pushed it into the dark areas like now it's going to be traded because the what's the economics like the need for it the want for it is now increased you, you, it's because the of the scarcity. It's the Streisand effect also, right? You right. know, by Microsoft polling this, and they're like, whoa, we're going to take this away from people. It just amplified it that much more. And there yeah. were people that had it. I probably wouldn't have even found it on GitHub if it hadn't been pulled. I probably wouldn't have looked for it. I know other guys who are on teams who have seen exchange on their current engagement and they were looking for it. They're looking for the POC so they could use it on that assessment. And I mean, whether that's, I mean, it's, it's an assessment, right? So it's, it's patch management. We get it. It's not necessarily a zero day at this point. It's just, Hey, you didn't patch it. I got it in time. So great. But uh, yeah, I mean, people were looking for it. I I kind of, I I kind of agree with you. Like the, the better good as researchers, should we publish this? But at the end of the day, if he didn't do it, somebody was going to do it right before him. Uh, that's kind of like this. Okay, well then we wait for that one malicious person to do it. I, I don't know. It's it, there's no easy answer here. And once it's out, it is out, man. Well, and like sure. see, the internet's a big pool, and once you're yeah. in the pool, you can't unbe <laughs> in the pool. Like, I mean, so absolutely. I, I, I guess my point is, so I don't we think, need more chlorine. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think that Microsoft thought or GitHub thought that 
oh, if we get rid of, of GitHub, it'll solve all the issues. I think it's going to solve everything. Yeah, I don't think. I think that, they thought I mean, it was going to slow it down. That slow, exactly. I think that they would slow it down a little bit because they're panicking makes it harder and harder for them to contain what's happening or help contain what's happening. But we're talking about like government organizations and like places that I don't know. I, I think, like I said, on this particular here's, one, I don't disagree. Here's my one follow on question for everyone here. We kind of all have different opinions about whether or when it should have been taken down. But one thing I also want to ask is, do you guys think if it was like something like an Oracle vulnerability, it would have been taken down as well? Fast? Dusty, Dusty is bringing up a point. Dusty Miller on the chat is saying, so far they have they haven't taken down the F five stuff that was yeah. posted two days ago. There, so, there's no. clearly some type of double standard, there, yeah. right? Well, the, absolutely. The proof of but... concept is still available two days that are not removed shows that they only care about their stuff. What I want to say, in all fairness, is Microsoft's prerogative, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. That, it's but, their it's platform. Yeah. It could have been internal politics. GitHub yeah. is new to Microsoft. It could sure. just be exec saying, we want to look good. We we don't want oh, this absolutely. to be there. Yeah, or it right? could have been a, a decision made without really discussing it at higher levels and what like the impact would be and like, or should we do it or not? I mean, because if, if it landed on somebody who had the authority to make that decision and they did it, I mean, these are huge organizations with lots of people and lots of moving parts, right? So, so or lower thing. levels. Yeah. yeah you, or lower I mean, levels. it could, could have been just a person who's a help desk person who says, okay, this is bad. I'm going to delete it because I see bad stuff about it in the news, right? Like it yeah. could have been mm-hmm. any level. We just don't know. There's probably some management involvement because Microsoft had a statement and I, I read it and I don't remember the oh, okay. something like along the lines of like, we realize that people are going to be upset that the, that the researchers want this code, but at this point in time, we're going to have to take it down. It was something along those lines. So I think there was deliberation at some level. Here's a take. I'm going to paraphrase horribly a simple nomad who is an exploit developer from way back in the day. Whenever you're looking at like closure, you're talking about full disclosure, you're talking about coordinated disclosure, you're talking about responsible disclosure, whatever the hell you want to call it. And this kind of springboards off of what uh, what Rob said. Whenever these things go out, they're out. If you're going to beat up the security researcher or you're going to try to hunt down the evil, quote unquote, hackers that are running the code online or they have it, it's freaking out. And with these abilities, you honestly have two choices. A, security community is running completely transparently and sharing information directly with the community and getting things out there. Or they're going to be sharing it with their friends. And there's, you're going to have situations where a lot of security researchers are going in the dark because of the, the reputation associated with being a security researcher may not be so stellar moving forward. I used to disagree with the concept of full disclosure because the old school definition of full disclosure, you're literally just going to release everything and let the pieces fall where they may. And I disagreed with that. It was like, no, 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 we got to watch for the impact. We got to do this. But anytime you're talking about nuance, whenever it comes to disclosure, you start discussing responsible disclosure or coordinated disclosure. Ultimately, arcs very heavily over towards the vendor having total control of the disclosure process. And it creates a situation where it's possible, if you look at like Oracle in the past, where the security researchers get demonized very heavily if they're trying to work within a responsible disclosure framework which vendors believe is don't ever disclose anything unless we you signed a non-disclosure agreement, which means you're never going to release it publicly. 
Then you start having this like a number of years ago, Dina DeZovi came up with a number of other researchers with the free bugs movement, which was basically like, we're sick and tired of finding vulnerabilities in software and not getting reimbursed for it. We're not going to release these things unless we actually get some type of compensation. So there's this pendulum that's constantly going back and forth in the community about whether or not we're going to disclose this way or we're going to disclose this way. But if we go back to Simple Nomad's premise, disclosure is freaking happening. And all the rest of this just becomes theater as whether or not people feel good about this GitHub page being shut down. The code was out there. It hit GitHub. People already had it. It was already spreading. So it's almost whenever you're looking at full disclosure, you're almost dealing with the reality of the situation and saying, look, this is the type of agency that we need with these security vulnerabilities. Whether or not it's on GitHub or not, be damned. It's boiling it back down to the reality of the situation is the code has been released. It's out there. You have to deal with it one way or the other. Now, the cool thing about this is it brought the whole like awareness of this thing much, 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 much higher. Microsoft stepping in, removing it from GitHub, started a huge tweet storm. And the cool side effect was immediately a lot of companies were like, what the hell is on Twitter? What's this? Dave Kennedy's <laughs> tweeting? What? Something's with Exchange. It actually increased that awareness very, 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 very well. So it, it's difficult talking about these issues. Now my take is, kind of leaning towards kind of simple nomad. If we step back and we acknowledge the reality, once this stuff hits, it's out there. I think that that's much healthier than us kind of patting each other on the back and saying, we're waiting 90 days for this proof of concept. Because as soon as the CVE and they're like, there's a vulnerability here, every security researcher, white hat or black hat is immediately researching and they will uncover it very quickly. So that was a long-winded thing, but it's me getting old and crotchety, I think. Um, you want to move to the next one? Yeah, we can. All right. I mean, I, I like that one. I I think that... That uh, wasn't a very good segue. You got to work on your segues, Earl. You're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you. That, that that was a really crap. Hey, segue. should we do the Google releases Spectre proof of concept? Speaking of companies releasing proof of concept. Oh, please. Code. Please, please. Sure. That's fantastic. For those of you that don't know, there's a whole class of vulnerabilities. Spectre and Meltdown was probably some of the first ones that came out. I and mean, the whole class of vulnerabilities is around something called spec of execution. So in your CPU, uh, whenever it does a redundant task over and over and over and over, and it actually kind of pre-processes some of those possible outcomes. And then basically it throws away the answers that it doesn't necessarily need. So one of the things you can do in security is you basically queue up where it's basically reading into the future, trying to predict things like passwords, for example. And then whenever you give a different password, what was happening with CPU architectures is a lot of that data that was in the speculative execution actually was still available and you could reach in and you could actually pull things like passwords out. So this was in the realm of academia for a long, long, long time. And this particular article is where Google has released a speculative execution proof of concept code where you can actually run it within your browser. And it allows you to actually pull data off of a system at like, I think it's like 1K per second. So it's not like super, super, super fast, but it at least highlights how this particular attack can be launched, not in academic circles, but straight up for realsies. And they also talk about how this is a vulnerability that exists beyond just Chrome how this particular vulnerability exists in a large number of additional browsers. So this is interesting because it does kind of springboard off of what we just talked about with speculative execution and some of the vulnerabilities that exist. 
Is this the same thing, or is this just a continuation of the academic research and speculative execution? I mean, is Spectre being executed in the wild with thousands of unpatched machines over the internet being exposed? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, this kind of shows that it could be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, that's a legitimate question. That was not meant to be like theater, really. It's like, but it, I will say this. I will, I will answer it legitimately. This is one step further towards that class of exploits being an issue where they absolutely could be yeah, exploited I, in the wild. I think it's going that route, right? Because, you know, I just kind of read quickly while you were talking that it even works with some modification on Apple's M1 ARM CPU. So I guess the whole concept of speculative execution is probably the, the technology itself probably just has an issue that can be take, you know, taken advantage of. So maybe this is, you remember the whole, like, you never need more than one mega RAM. Is that what Bill Gates said back in the day? I mean, I guess we've kind of gotten to this point where, like, everything is it just demands so much. So it's so bright, shiny, and pretty that everybody wants to use it, right? And so maybe that was a bad route to go. I don't know. Well, the, the thing that does kind of suck about this particularly is that the only way to patch this, right, quote, unquote, is to get a new processor, right? Like you just, you need a new platform. Oh, so, no, no, no. Well, no, you, you Remember, you just, they did. No, 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 no. That's not true. You, you, they can do some patches, but the actual issue is actually embedded far further into the actual CPU. Sure, but yes, there were actual patches. If you remember, there were patches that Microsoft put out, and sure. it actually did impact the performance oh, by yeah, like, like 20, 25 percent. Yeah, their, yeah. I remember going, "Holy so, crap, my machine is so much slower yeah, so, now." Hold, hold on. So yes, they are. There are some uh, remediation efforts, like you know, things you could do to prevent it, but not entirely, right? And so that new variants of this could come out in addition like what you brought up those yeah patches right severely affected performance in systems that are already overtaxed right i mean especially in virtualization environments mm -hmm. when 100% cpu utilization oh, is what you want not 80 of that yeah. right so but You're i mean paying for it might as well use it right yeah yeah so i mean it definitely is like much the patch in many articles was maybe worse than the vulnerability right because there are a lot of things related to where you need to be to actually exploit this vulnerability and it's not just something that you hit up over the internet right on an open port in addition i do believe that amd has is releasing and i'm sure my intel as well new chips that are supposedly more more hardened against this resilient. kind of attack yeah and in addition resilient against other kinds of micro architecture attacks that affect virtualization environments very very specifically right where this would be yeah. the most hazardous to your operations right like being able to spread from one virtual machine to another is really what you're worried about in this particular example so yeah, even data leakage across those is, is really, really hella bad. But a lot of what I've been reading, too, and I, I don't want to be a naysayer, but a lot of what I'm reading is it, it's, it's more difficult, but it's not going to shut them down completely. It's kind of like whenever you had uh, data execution prevention, you're looking at buffer overflow and heap overflow vulnerabilities. You came out with DEP, and there was hardware-based data execution, and then there was uh, execution prevention that was put in the operating system as well. That actually made it somewhat more difficult for actual exploitation. But it didn't actually shut things down. And then you started developing canaries to protect the return pointer. And then you had different types of canaries that could actually be utilized. Terminator canary, XOR canary, randomized canaries. And you could protect it. And there was ways to bypass that where you could actually do ROP chains and things of that nature. 
My, my point of all of this is what you're going to see is you're going to see these speculative execution attacks. There's going to be these protections that are going to be started to put in place, and they're not going to completely address the issue for a long time. It's not just yeah. going to be like, oh, this is now fixed. Because if you look at something as simple as a bar overflow and eventually Hebo attacks, it took probably 15, 17 years point where it is now where it's actually really freaking hard to actually exploit those particular vulnerabilities in modern operating systems. So it's going to take time. And I think I think a lot of that has to do with I don't believe Unity as a whole, especially the people that are creating the the architectures, understand the the vulnerability class as well as they should. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's definitely a big issue. And I think to your point, we're going to see it more in the future because uh, again, Intel didn't recognize the class of mm. vulnerability, right? Well, in AMD, remember when it first came out, they're like, oh, we're not Intel. We're good. They, oh. were, they were totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were just lying to themselves because it just hadn't made it to them yet, right? Yeah. But on the topic of zero days, we have a recent 11 zero days attacking Windows, iOS, and Android users all at one time. Expert so, hacker used 11 zero days. So that's our next story. So, yeah, go ahead, Rob. Can I? Can I talk on this one for a second yeah hit it this specific poc is in javascript the best um, i don't know enough about spectre and meltdown and i really have to dig in a little further but to my knowledge this only was able to read memory of other processes in the same space as the mm -hmm. browser so chrome another That's tab true. you could read firefox you could read another tab or another mm -hmm. window chrome you could read another window but nothing outside of that because of the protections, at least in Windows. I don't know about Linux, how it does segmentation of memory, but the the protections there were in place where basically all you could do with this attack is read logins, and which is still bad. The protections they, they put in place, basically what they're saying from Google's point of view is you should have it so that every every one of your server's web applications should have cross-origin co-op cores, all of the C cross-origin and better policies, all of that header stuff so that attackers can't load JavaScript into your page and execute this on, on your page. But like mm -hmm. all it takes is all it takes is a attacker to get you to surf to that their page and you're mm -hmm. still getting exploited, right? So yes. isn't it just on the browsers to pat? Their <clears throat> mitigations I don't quite understand, I guess, because they're saying they're putting this on on web servers to mitigate this and, and at some point like cross-site scripting's a thing. I don't understand how I understand how these protections help, but I don't mm -hmm. I think that patching your browsers is a more important protection on this i think it's absolutely one of those things where you need both you absolutely need to have both so that's i would agree that that's number one number two i almost think that it, and i'm speculating right now ha it's a pun um <laughs> i'm speculating on this right now but i i i believe and i can be wrong proof of concept code is somewhat neutered that you know if you look at speculative execution attacks where that's happening, that's happening at such a low level that it's below any type of sandboxing that's being done by the operating system. That, that seems curious to me that it is just happening within the browser, but I can almost see Google setting it up so it's restrictive to just that. But at, at the end of the day, I agree with you. I, I think it's a bit weird just on servers. 
and on, on people developing servers, I think that there absolutely should be some better protections in the browsers as well. I tested their code in in the latest versions of Firefox and, and Chrome and Edge and IE, and all of them didn't result in any POC working. So so patch your stuff. Yep. Patch the things that matter. <laughs> as in everything, right? No. Every time your browser says patch, just do it immediately. Don't think about it. Just do it. All your tabs gone, but do it. <laughs> There's ways to save tabs. No, I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, don't make me have a heart attack. Like, I, I want my tabs back. <laughs> I yeah. I, oh, my God. Could you imagine? Uh, the whole 400 thing? tabs. Gone. Gone, dude. Oh, That's like, I, I have 1,100 tabs. <laughs> I was kidding, but I think I'm, you're not. <laughs> I'm not kidding at all. I have a, I can, a 1,400 or 1,401 tabs. God bless you, your RAM. And you can go to bed all red and closed. So, <laughs> all right. Um, so we've got this expert hacker. You want to tell us a little bit about this story? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so essentially, a advanced hackers exploited no more than eleven zero day vulnerabilities in a nine month campaign. The uh, I think this comes out from Project Zero as well, if I'm not mistaken, and it's ridiculous how many varying exploits they were using and all different kinds of attack paths. You know, this is not like someone who's good at developing, you know, one exploit wrote these. This is a gang of exploits all being used at one time, you know, to cause uh, success in this attack. I mean, it was Chrome, Windows Heat Buffer Overflow, two more Chrome, Safari, and iOS. This is a wide gambit of zero-day yeah, exploits. You're yeah. talking three three nation states can yeah. do this. My, yeah. Yeah. My first thought is, holy shit, this is expensive. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, too. Like, somebody paid to buy these, okay? And this goes back to this marketplace, right? Wouldn't it be better if this was all on GitHub and we could have just all known about it? But no. Anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> way, to, way to tie that together. <laughs> but anyways, it's, it's, it's wild to see this. And I, uh, in addition, yeah, it's brutal. Being flippant. I want somebody to say, why, why would why, we didn't find these vulnerabilities because the researchers didn't post it on GitHub. I'm oh, kind of know, flipping right? to set it on a little bit. It's like we, many... we can't detect things unless GitHub here, folks. But so... this is insane. Like this is this is nuts. I don't th I can't think of anything that we've yes, seen so. this many zero days. Well, the closest thing would have been Stuxnet, which I think yeah. had four, four, yeah. four, four yeah. separate zero days. Um, and the shortcut, the keyboard layout, scheduled task abuse, and I can't remember what the other one was. Yeah, and then um, two stolen uh, signing certificates. Micron and Railtech. But like this so one, it's almost like whoever saw that was like, hold my beer. Here we go. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, kinds of things that you, you would use on, like I'm with you, like this nation state level stuff. I mean, because how, how many iOS uh, security research do, re researchers do you personally know? I knew one, right? And, you know, I just how many do you know that discovered zero days in uh, iOS? Know. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know any. Yeah, right? Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> but I guess this is a skill. Yet there's set. three, it's an, an not just an iOS zero day. It's three. Yeah, this is I mean, and they changed that there are a handful of people in the world that can do this kind of stuff as far as I know. Right. I mean, maybe there's thousands and I just don't know. Right. But I, I guess 
Yeah, I mean, it almost reads to me like, here, if you're not terrified yet and want to go live in a cave, here, read this, right? Somebody yeah. went down to the old zero-day shop well, and, and bought them a whole bunch of things. I mean, let's just say they were half a million dollars a piece or a million dollars a piece or whatever. I mean, to use those then, I mean, wouldn't it be, like, highly targeted? I mean, it's not like you're going to yeah, launch yeah. ransomware with this stuff, right? So, man... It was I mean, going on for supposedly, according to the research, I think it said like nine months. And one of those chain fully compromised a fully patched Windows 10 using Google Chrome. So if you could get someone to visit a website, that chain could get the whole box, man. So that's that's terrifying. Those aren't come on. But let's be honest, you're a little excited. Right? Yeah. Just a little oh, yeah. bit. <laughs> come on. I, absolutely. I wish I was even half that talented to be able to figure something like that out. That's that's crazy. <laughs> I, the, the mobile ones are like the scary ones to me. Because, the, yeah, those are the harder ones. Uh, yeah, yeah, those are the harder ones. And then like it's still even like in the pen test world, like we very, very rarely even touch on like the mobile surface area just because of, you know, we can't BYOD and authorization and stuff like that. And I just think a lot of people really ignore it. I mean, a lot of companies really ignore that attack vector. We're We're doing kind of a disservice. The Windows sphere, these these exploits aside, right, these zero days aside, you know, has gotten a lot better. But I just, I don't know. I feel like there's a big chunk of computing in the security world that's just kind of ignored to a I, degree. Anytime I see something like this, I just envision a meeting. Let's just say it was the NSA because oh, probably it was the NSA. Um, stars, it, like, so <laughs> they're sitting around and like one guy gets up and he's like, OK, Jim, tell us about what you did. Right. In order to get in, um, so what I did first is I wrote an, an exploit for iOS on, on Safari, remote code <laughs> execution. And then I had to escape from the kernel. But I, I got out of the kernel once and I realized I had to get out of the kernel a second time. So I ended up writing a second kernel zero day to, to get in. Good job, Jim. Good job. Anybody else? And the ASOC, the intern's like, I got in. How did you get in, ASOC? And he's like, they used a password of spring 2020. And you can hear the exploit guy go, God <laughs> damn it. Absolutely. So, so, I, so think, what, uh, I tried the password and then I went to lunch at the crab shack <laughs> at GNW. Um, so. I think uh, so. One of the uh, exploits was an RCE for iOS 11 through 13, right? And privilege escalate yeah. uh, and privilege escalation exploit for uh, for iOS 13. By the way, Zeronium pay is charging or pays. Excuse me, they will pay half a million dollars for an RCE for iOS, right? So somebody sold this, somebody got it, <laughs> like, and that was at least a half a million dollars. And that know. gets into an interesting question about how many of these exploits on the nation state level are written by the government. And by the government, I mean government and subcontractors, like bringing in oh, man yeah. tech and they're helping, they're helping write these things. That would still be on, on the government. How many of them are on open public markets and the government's going in with their shopping cart and buying these? I think when you're looking at these, these are developed by the nation state for the state. Yeah. So. I mean, this is one definite example when somebody says, it could have been a very advanced threat actor. It was an advanced right, threat actor. Right. There's no it's doubt in my mind. Like this is yeah. this is so, the one. <laughs> when you hear, so we, we, we found the guy who wrote these, and it turns out he's an idiot. He doesn't even know how to use a computer. It was told by freaking mistake. He gave his infant son an iPod, he or an iPhone, and he literally drew on it and found it. It's the damnedest thing. This was not SolarWinds one two three. Okay, this was no, this was not SolarWinds one two three. It's Maddie Stone that is the researcher for this, and she's amazing, and that's awesome that she has big this credit it. to her. 
Yeah, she. If you're not following her on Twitter, you should because she basically, yeah, does amazing things with Android and obviously lots of other things. It doesn't talk about what the end goal was. This was a watering hole attack where you would well, hit the the page and it would exploit you. There's not much after that. So cool, I was I was exploited, but then what? Like, so I think that's the goal? two things. Like either a, no one knows. Then it's they would just speculate, or b, we don't have the clearance level to know. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I think I think it's b, and like how they have like little question marks where they're drawing little exploit chains together, and they get to the end, it's like question mark, question mark. We don't know what this was for, but it was bad. Okay, guys? And, and there could be two us. reasons. Yeah, they, they might literally not know. Like, they have zero idea. They, they don't know or they can't draw the association. They saw these remnants of these exploits, put the pieces together, which is amazing by itself. But we yeah. don't know what the, what the point was, okay? Or two, they just can't talk about it for whatever reason. So maybe a mix of both. Are you almost done? So... <laughs> yeah they're almost done they're almost done they're almost done so, on that just note, two minutes just two, just minutes. two more two more minutes all right i think there must be some hungry kids or something like that they they occasionally yeah. need to be fed and watered be fed and watered <laughs> well, you just throw pizza at them here's the credit card go buy a pizza or whatever <laughs> I've forgotten everything I was going to say. I know, I kind of shut everything down. It turned you off. You're welcome. Yeah. But I think the point was Maddie was awesome, is awesome. Yeah. Follow her on Twitter. Folks, should we wrap this up? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. We have, we've been told right, it's time. I remember one second, one second. All right, oh, hit it. Name three companies who do mobile instant response. Go ahead, try. <laughs> exactly. Wait, wait, wait. Do you mean mobile incident response? Like they'll come to your location and like, you're grab the phone and like look. I like name three companies who can so, do incident response on mobile. Yeah, so that's, that's oh, on sort of mobile device. I was making earlier yeah. was that you know, like, so I took the the Sans smartphone forensics course years ago, and I was the, really the only non law enforcement person in there. We're ignoring it as the the private sector information security. Celebrite probably does it. I guarantee you, Celebrite does it. I. I don't, no. I don't think they, I don't they do forensics. Hold on. Different. Let's step back one sec. What would incident response entail with a mobile device, right? So that's the thing. Forensics and incident response have this symbiotic relationship. If you're going to do some incident response, you're also probably going to do some forensics and, and, and vice versa, sure. right? So I think, I think that if you're going to do mobile incident response, first, it depends on the type of platform. And second, it's not nowhere near as easy or as free as it is to do on well, a well, computer, I, right? You need specialized no, gear and most wait, to, no, to you don't. image. Well, for across the board, yeah. Or no, you don't. IPhone. Okay, how do no. you image an iPhone? Okay. Honestly, if doing mobile incident response, okay, your mobile device is merely a portal that gains access to a cloud service. So your email, your files, everything that you do on that device is actually attached to the cloud. So sure. we've actually done, quote, mobile incident response, oh, yeah. where we have customers that are compromised things. and we're going back to the cloud services. We're pulling off the logs off those cloud services because if somebody breaks into someone's phone, more than likely... They're going to gain access to the files and the things associated with it. And those logs exist in the cloud. So by and large, whenever you're talking mobile incident response, usually mobile incident response is being done in conjunction with cloud incident response. Now, whenever you talk forensics on the phone, that's a horse of a completely different color. Those are not in diagrams. They don't completely overlap much. 
And there's a lot of situations where you would end up doing mobile forensics, illegal pornography cases would be an example where it doesn't really fall in the category of incident response. But if you're talking but mobile incident response case, from a corporate perspective, it's going to be the same thing as cloud incident response. In no. this case, the exploits were popping shells on those boxes, uh, on those mobile devices if they had them. One of the things you would want to do in a mobile instant response is pull forensic so you can find the binaries that were doing the things. Uh, I used to oh, do, when I worked right. at... Uh, like, I'm telling you, you're both right, because I, I'm with you, Rob, because, I mean, it depends on how far, like, what you want out, like, what's the question of interest that you want to get to to sure. answer? Like, um, what am I responding everything. to? Everything. I want to know everything. If you want to know everything about it, you're doing <laughs> forensics. You're making an image, and then that's when you get yep. to go to celebrate and, you know, spend $14,000 and buy, you know, the, It's the my thing. turn. Yeah, it's your turn now. How about we set this up? Yeah. Because I you know, don't want to leave on this one. I think that this is really, really interesting. Because we should be talking about Celebrite and how Celebrite actually does hoard zero days to basically get past authentication on devices. I think how many iOS about- are there a year? A year, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, so to, to even image an iPhone, you're jailbreaking it. You're essentially exploiting it, right? I mean, that's yes, what you, have you to are do. absolutely. Right. So I got the ping to leave too. So we have <laughs> <laughs> all been hit, dude. I, it is I just that signed- time. I just signed something random for my wife, and I'm wondering, like, (laughs) what did I just hand her over? All right, everybody, let's get out of here. Let's do a mobile forensics and pensting extravaganza next Wednesday. How do I hang up again? You have to hover (laughs) over a certain place to pull up the button. There it is.